Thank you so much to our choir. Thank you for leading us in worship. Would you find in your Bibles the New Testament book of Romans? We'll be in Romans chapter 9. We're going to begin reading verses 1 through 13. We're glad to see you today. Glad that you've come to be a part of our worship service today. Don, thank you so much for sharing your Gideon about what's happening with the Gideons these days. And thank you for all of those, some, some amazing statistics. And we know for many, many stories about people finding Gideon Bibles, handing out Gideon Bibles, and the difference it makes. And we believe in that. And Don, you're right. It's bright up here. And uh, listen, that is because those in media feel like I need all the help that I can get. Make me look a little bit brighter, perhaps. I don't think it's helping much. But here we are, and we're glad you have opportunity to give. If you'd like to give today, you've heard of other ways, but uh, you certainly could use the envelope today and leave it there or an offering plate. In fact, we're going to have men with open Bibles back at the back, or the back doors there as you leave out today. And uh, if you'd like to give an offering, you certainly can do that today. All of that will go to Gideon International. We appreciate those as well today. Aaron uh, texted me or actually called me this week and uh, earlier in the week, and he said, uh, he said, could we design the service around maybe uh, what we would hope and desire for Israel and for those who are in that region? It was at that very time that I was praying uh, about this service and uh, had felt the Lord's lead me in direction of something different than I was going to do, but instead for us to be able to do this three-part series. And I appreciate, thank you for the, leading us in worship. And you read, think about the songs, this is what we hope and we desire for the people of Israel, all the people in that region, things that we have sung about today that the choir has sung about, and we continue to lift up prayers for those things that are happening in the world, for they certainly have impact not only that part of the world, all of the world, even as we think of uh, biblical ramifications and history of the world, things that are happening in the world today uh, that has to do with all prophecy, all of these things. We know that uh, we're living in these times that we know the Lord wants to use to bring all people to himself and at the same time be a lot of things that are happening in this world that we may not quite understand, things that are happening that will continue to show uh, hate and evil in this world. But thank goodness we know greater is he that is in the world Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And uh, today we want to we continue our prayers. Today we'll take just a moment and pray for our Gideons. We'll pray for those traveling. We know a lot of folks are traveling uh, this weekend, fall break for the schools, and uh, pray for those. Those will be going on the mission trip as well as uh, what's happening in the world today. So let's go ahead and spend just another moment in prayer today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you even now. We thank you that we can... Trust in you for all things. We thank you that we can turn to you, Father, always during our time and hour of need. Father, we do pray, as the Scripture said, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of all Israel. Even today, Father, we know that you continue to be at work around the world today. Father, we pray for Israelis, Palestinians. Father, we uh, know that you are the giver of life. We know that you continue to be at work, Father. And we, we trust and have faith, even in spite of the things that we see on the news today. We have faith that you're still at work. You are still the one who is in charge of all things. You are sovereign Lord and God. You want to bring uh, people you, to yourself. You want to bring peace on earth. 
We know the one who is the Prince of Peace. We trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And today, even this day, Father, may you continue to make yourself known in every part of the world, particularly the region in which we're praying for even now. We pray, Father, uh, for Gideon International. We thank you for the Bibles that are distributed around the world in many, many languages. We thank you for the one who shared today. Thank you for those who are part of our church, those who are part of this community that continue to be businessmen who are dedicated to sharing the good news of God's Word. We pray, Father, that that may continue. We thank you for the power that we know that is uh, uh, in that Word because of the message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it continue to grow and may it continue to flourish. We pray, Father, for those who are traveling uh, this uh, weekend. We pray, Father, for safe travels. Thank you for those who are listening here today, Father, that uh, uh, as they're away but listening to our worship services today, uh, pray be a blessing to them. We pray, Father, for those who be traveling for the mission trip today and this week. Father, pray that you'll keep all safe, and we pray that there'll be great work that will take place and encouragement uh, to that church in Mobile. We pray now, Father, for our time together this very hour. May you use it, Father, for your glory, also for our benefit, that we might be able to hear the good news that you'd have to say to each one of us from your word. And we thank you, Father, for how you're going to be at work even today. Now, may the words of my mouth, meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. We are in Romans chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Would you now stand and honor the reading of God's word today? Paul writes in Romans 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man, or forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word, and you may be seated. I hate you. Not really. Boy, that tasted bad coming out of my mouth, I've got to tell you. But uh, those seem to be very harsh words. In fact, let me just take a moment to tell you how much I love you. Every Sunday as I park a little bit further on Sunday morning so that I might leave room for others, but also so that I might pray in my walk toward the church. I always thank the Lord for you. Thank the Lord for the blessings that our family has because we're able to be part of the Parkway Baptist Church ministry. So let me tell you how much I love you and uh, how glad I am to be your pastor, to be your friend. Look forward to many, many more years to come as well. But 
Hate is a very harsh word. Maybe the strongest emotion we have. We find the dictionary defines it as to low, to detest, a strong dislike or animosity. We read a passage like what we just read. We read verse 13. It's a quote from Malachi chapter 1. It says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. We're almost in shock to think of God hating anyone if in fact this is what it means. I'll admit my concern on maybe how to preach on this particular passage. Who does God hate? I can give you reference after reference on the fact that God loves all people. But you know, yes, Jesus used the same word, hate, Luke chapter 14. He used it for emphasizing our love for God as a priority when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. Well, if we can understand what Jesus said in the New Testament, we can perhaps begin to understand why God said he hated Esau. Sometimes in Hebrew writing, they would often use words to express a sharp contrast. But this phrase, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated without a doubt, is one of those harder to understand phrases that are found in the Old and the New Testament. But we cannot disregard it. It's repeated here for a reason. We think often think of love and hate as only emotional. If we hate, it's wrapped up in our anger and our emotion. And if we love, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling, an emotional tug of the heart. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But in Hebrew thought, it was more having to do with choice and with using the mind rather than with the heart. Choosing to love or choosing not to love was more of an intentional decision than heartfelt emotion. But there's no way around it. Paul quotes to talk about God's choice of Israel and his priority in his love for Israel. If you know the story that is found in Genesis, the amazing part of this passage is not the part to where it says, Esau I hated. The most amazing part of the passage where it says, I loved Jacob. It's much more surprising maybe to us to know that God's chosen to love us than to hate us. I mean, at least for those who find hate easier to understand because we do it so naturally. After all, it takes no effort to hate, but it does take some effort in order to love, particularly those who are unlovable, particularly those who might mistreat us or sin against us. And we understand what the Scripture says, that all of us have sinned, we've all fallen short, and we, we know what sin does to the heart of God. And it was our sin that put Jesus Christ the Son on the cross that we might be able to, comp- to not be able to comprehend how God could love us and how His love is so amazing. What I want us to, to do this morning is to answer the simple question, the real issue, why did God love Jacob? Or why does God choose or love Israel? And by doing so, then we might discover why God loves and He's chosen to give us His salvation. So you've got some notes there, and we're just going to kind of follow along as uh, you as we look at the scripture and talk about why does God choose or love Israel? Is it because Jacob was good? Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Now, it's been said about the kind of stories that people tell about Jacob would be the kind of stories one prefers to tell after a relative has passed away. Uh, If he were alive, you'd only whisper about his escapades at family gatherings and hope that the neighbors had not found out about the last caper of the wayward son. Being a twin, second 
born after his brother Esau. He was born holding on to his brother's heel. Thus he was named Jacob, which means heel catcher. But it's a name that also means trickster or deceitful one. And that's the name he lived up to. Jacob was a homebody. Esau was an outdoorsman. One day when Esau was coming in after a hunt, Jacob had set up a trap for him. He had made what we're going to call red bean soup that was ready for Esau as he came in. Esau had not eaten after the hunt for a long, long time. And as he comes in, he asked for some of the red bean soup. And Jacob says, oh, you can have it, but with one condition. That is if you'll give up your birthright, the birthright that went to the firstborn that amounted to a double portion of the inheritance to being the head person of the family and to the land that had been promised to Abraham. Esau claiming to have been starving to death. What good would it birthright do for me if I'm going to starve to death, he said. He let his stomach do his thinking. Anybody ever? Esau agreed and gave up his birthright. Here's the thing. Jacob had no need to trick his brother into giving up his birthright. God had already said that Jacob would be the one that would the promise of Abraham and Isaac would come through. Then when Isaac was old and blind, he called for Esau to come in for the family blessing. Again, this time with the help of his mom, Jacob tricked his father to get what he wanted. Throughout his life, until he had an encounter and wrestled with God, deceit surrounded his life even when it came to his two wives, Rachel and Leah, and gaining wealth from his father-in-law. Even later in life when he thought Joseph was dead and his sons were being summoned to come to Egypt, including his youngest son, Benjamin, instead of trusting in God, he showed great despair. Knowing the life of Jacob, do you think that God chose to love Jacob because he was good? No way. Verse 4, we read just a moment ago, states all the things that were given to the Israelites the descendants of Jacob. Now, if you've been in Sunday school for very long, sometimes you've heard teachers or preachers, we often talk about the Jewish people or Israelites or the Hebrew people. These are all the same as we talk about these. But when the word Israelites is used or they use it for themselves, it is used to emphasize God's covenant people and their biblical heritage. Notice again here in verse 4, it says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the promises. God chose the nation of Israel to be his adopted child. They received the glory of God. Sometimes called the Shekinah glory, meaning the visible presence of God. And with Israel, there was almost always a visible presence of God. It was the cloud and the fires that came out of Egypt. Then it was the tabernacle. and Then it was the temple. And then, of course, later it would be Jesus. They received the covenants of God, his unchanging promises. Covenants and the promises that were first given to Abraham and then to Moses and then to David. They had the privilege of receiving the law of Moses and no other nation had. Which should have pointed them to a need for God in relationship with Him. God served the nation in every way and ultimately the fulfilled promise of the Son of God who died on the cross. The story of the Old Testament is the story of God's love for a people who were not good, who were disobedient. And the story of the New Testament is the story of God showing His greatest love and of God's people rejecting Jesus. Most Israelites rejected Christ. Not all you understand, but most. Now, please note the description of Jesus that's found in verse 5. Here's how it is in, uh, the, uh, in another version. It says, the New Living Version, it says, A descendant 
of the patriarchs. Notice Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. Christ himself was an Israelite, as for this human nature is considered. And he's God, speaking of Jesus, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. If anybody ever argues with you about is Jesus really God or is he fully God, feel free to point to this passage as well as others. If God did not love Jacob because he was good, well, is it because Esau was bad? Is it because Esau was bad? Esau was the logical choice. He was older. He was the athletic hunter. He was named Esau because of his hairy appearance. He was a manly man. In appearance, Esau was the more likely candidate to carry God's blessing, to be God's man. So was Esau so bad that God chose Jacob by default as perhaps the lesser of the evils? No, that was not the reason. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, we read it a moment ago, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. So it was not based on one being good or one being evil or that one would be good or one would be evil. In truth, Esau never claimed to worship or seek after God. His descendants, the nation of Edom, the Edomites, remained enemies of Israel, though there was a time when Esau forgave his brother. But the conflict continues even to this day. But never is one so evil that God does not desire a relationship. Peter wrote, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Bible tells us God takes the initiative and he chooses us. If he did not, we would not be saved. I also believe they have a hard time comprehending the magnitude of God's love for all people, for those who were not good, even for those who have rejected him. When Moses was on Mount Sinai and he was receiving the law of God, the Israelites were at the foot of the mountain. They were electing a new leader. They were creating a golden calf, and they were worshiping it. The next day, after Moses had called out all those who were on the Lord's side to come to him, after he had burned the calf and put it into the water and made the Israelites drink, he went back up to the mountain and he prayed this famous prayer for the same people that had sinned, not only against God, but turned against Moses. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32. Moses prayed this prayer. All these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book that you have written. Did Moses care greatly for the people of Israel? He did. Paul begins this chapter 9 by saying, You may not believe this, but because of the Holy Spirit that is living in me, my heart aches for my fellow Jews who are lost. He grieves at the thought of those who do not know Jesus. He would be willing to be a curse from Christ, which means he'd be willing not just to give his life for them, he's willing to be separated from God and go to hell in their place if he could. In Romans chapter 8, Paul had just talked about the dearest thing in the universe to him was the unconditional, the unseparating love of Jesus. He would be willing to give all that up if it meant salvation for his fellow Israelites. Though a missionary to the Gentiles, he continued to love and want to see the salvation of the Jews. Moses and the apostle Paul showed great love for a sinful, unrepentant people. God's love is even greater than that of Moses or Paul. God does not choose or to love Jacob because Jacob was good or because Esau was bad. Is it because God is bad? Certainly not. 
Certainly that's not the case. If God makes an unconditional promise to His people, He always holds up His end of the promise, even if we do not. He stays true to His Word. One of the promises to the Israelites was the blessings to the descendants of Abraham and the blessing to the whole world because of Abraham. Paul reminded them that the blessings were not promised to all the descendants of Abraham. First of all, it was not to his son Ishmael and his descendants, but only to Isaac. It was, again, not because of, uh, uh, to the, it was not to Esau. Instead, it was to Jacob, the second born. It was not the order of birth that was important to God. It was simply God's choosing. Understand, Palestinians today are mostly Arabs who claim the land of Palestine as their home. Some are the descendants of Esau, some are the descendants of Ishmael, and some are even the Canaanites or a mixture of the three. All those Jewish religious people standing around listening or reading Paul's letter would be nodding their heads at what Paul was saying. They say, that's right, it's not all the descendants of Abraham. It's not all the descendants of Isaac, but it is all the descendants of Jacob. Aren't we glad that we're the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And then Paul lays this bomb in verse 8. He said, this means it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it's the children of promise that are counted as offsprings. The two true spiritual offspring of Abraham are born-again believers. Jews and non-Jews who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have not rejected Him, but have repented of their sins and opened the door to let Jesus be their Savior and Lord. That doesn't mean that God is through with the nation of Israel. His desire is to bring all the nation to Him. While it is true, and history records, as time went by, Ishmael and Esau showed contempt for God, while Isaac and Jacob, though imperfect, showed love for God. The emphasis is on God's choosing those He will. But nowhere in Scripture will you find His divine choice to not choose some, or that God is choosing those who will reject, or choosing those who will spend eternity in hell. Why does God choose to love Israel? Was it because Jacob was good or the Israelites were good? Was it because Esau was bad or the Arabs or the Palestinians are bad? Was it because God was bad? Certainly none of these. It is because God is good. Certainly that is the answer. Is it because God is good? Certainly yes. We could quote hundreds of scriptures about God's love, but let me give you two or three. The psalmist said in Psalm 145 and verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Mark chapter 10 and verse 18 says, No one is good but one, that is God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, when whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We cannot fathom or begin to understand why God would choose the nation of Israel. His motivations are beyond comprehension. But through Jacob and his offspring, a Savior would be born. But because God is good, he chooses to reveal himself through Jesus. God could have chosen another people. He could have chosen not to reveal himself at all. But because God is God, he is always good. How thankful we are for his indescribable gift. Hopefully our scripture today is helping us to be able to see some insight perhaps of understanding on why God chooses or loves Israel. But how about you and me? Why does God choose to love you? Is it because I am good? 
Now, I'm putting this in first person so that you might be able to make it personal today. No, God does not choose to love you because we are good. The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Captain John Smith, the leader of the Jamestown Colony in Virginia, was captured by the Native American Powhatan, sometimes called Powhatan, I think, by some. As the chief prepared to kill Captain Smith with a stone war club, the chief's 12-year-old daughter, Pocahontas, lay on top of him with her head on top of his head, coming between him and the club that would bring him to his death. And while she pleaded from her father for, with her father for Captain Smith's life, the chief was so moved that he spared the colonist's life. Captain John Smith was not saved because of how good he was or even what the colonists were going to do for the Native Americans. We all know what the colonizing of America did for the Native Americans. No, he was saved because of the good heart of a young Native American girl. I love the story of Pocahontas because it is the story of Christianity coming to Native Americans. Last time I was in D.C. in the rotunda of our nation's capital, there was this picture. There was the baptism of Pocahontas. But even she was not saved because she was good. Why does God choose to love me? Is it because others are bad? I mean, in comparison, I must be a pretty good person, we might say. Our comparisons are not with other people, but they're only with the holiness of Jesus. And even if you only sin once, that would, not, that would make you unworthy. No, God did not choose you because other people are bad. But does this testimony of Paul or even that of Moses, willing to be cut off from God if that would help others to be saved, does that challenge your love for others? I've got to tell you, I don't know that I would have that kind of motivation, being willing to give up my relationship and my salvation in heaven so that others might be saved, except maybe for those who are the very closest to me. So I'm not going to ask you today if your burden for the lost is that great, but do you feel burdened for the lost? God used Paul to bring many, many people to the Lord Jesus, the greatest missionary who ever lived, we would say. Well, if we had the passion that Paul had, I believe the results would be the same. The mark of a successful soul winner is one who has a broken heart for the Lord, for the lost sheep. Lord, break our hearts for our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and classmates, for those of this community and around the world who will die and go to a sinner's hell unless we tell them about your saving love. Great leaders, great servants, great men and women, boys and girls of God love sinners. What would you do for the lost? How far would you go for that someone might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus? For one did leave the throne room of heaven in order to come and be able to be born in the flesh. He was accursed on a cross, separated from the Father, the only innocent one, so that you and I might know his love. What well, does God choose to love me while others do not know of his love because God is bad? <laughs> Again, certainly not. God always acts according to his loving, holy character. He defines holiness and love. These verses at least help us in describing the Bible, what the Bible calls the doctrine of election. Those of us who are in Christ are among the elect, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
I believe in the coming weeks as we talk a couple of more weeks about Israel and God's choice for Israel, we'll have even a greater understanding about what it means to be of the elect in Christ. For those who are not in Christ are among a different kind of election. The lost have elected for themselves to remain in their sins. They've rejected Jesus Christ. God has not chosen that for them. Back in Romans chapters 1 and 2 talks about, Paul tells us, though those who are without excuse, all who are without excuse, but God has revealed himself in many ways, mostly significant through Jesus. Why does God choose to love me? Is it because God is good and God is grace? Certainly, yes. We are saved by His grace through faith and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is God's doing. You accept God's free gift, His invitation to experience His love by placing your faith in the Lord. I might not understand everything there is to know about God's election, but this I know. If you're in the sound of my voice, God has chosen to reveal Himself and His love to you, and you can accept Jesus today. Every day in America, there is a... uh, Ritual that takes place in playgrounds, not only America, but I, probably around the world, where children choose sides in order to play ball. Usually there's a captain or a team captain, perhaps, for each side. They begin choosing. They choose one or the other until they finally get down to the last one or there's no one left. Maybe we've been at different times in our life at various places in the choosing. Maybe we've, maybe we've been the team captain. Maybe have been somewhere in the middle, maybe we've been the first chosen. But then there are the ones who seem to be the last chosen. After all the name, other names are called out, maybe that name's not even called out. They just know by virtue of being the very last one, they are on whatever team was left and had the last choice. And so they bow their head and they go to that other team perhaps or maybe not chosen at all. Folks, that's who our Lord chooses. Or Lord, who has a heart for the underdog, the leftovers of the world, calls those by name who would not be called at all. The fisherman, the tax collector, the woman at the well, blind Bartimaeus, Simon the leper, Legion, Mary Magdalene, so many others, including the people of Israel, and including, praise God, you and me. These are the ones for whom the Apostle Paul says his heart grieves. Lord, give us a heart for the leftovers of this world. Help us to care for the ones who would not be chosen at all were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham writes on the back cover of his autobiography, or one of his autobiographies. He writes, I've often said that the very first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is to ask, why me, Lord? Why did you choose a farm boy from North Carolina to preach to so many people, to have such a wonderful team of associates? And to have a part in what you were doing the latter half of the 20th century. I thought about that question a great deal. But I know also that only God knows the answer. Why does God love you? Why has God chosen you? Really, only He knows the answer. But if we think that we sure have something to offer God, we better back up. For God chooses the weak and the foolish to confound the strong and the wise. Israel was... And is the nation that God has chosen to love. And he's also the nation and the people that God wants to save through the Messiah. The one who is the way and the only way. But if you do not feel that you have much to offer God, but you love him, willing to serve, well know this. 
You are the person God has chosen to love and to use for kingdom purposes. Next week and the week after that, we'll be talking about the present condition of Israel and even the future of Israel. But this morning, God's calling your name. If you're lost today, you can know that God has chosen to reveal himself to you. He's calling your name so that you might be able to give your heart to him. And today you can come proclaiming your faith in the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian today, already a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus, God is calling your name. He's calling you to be a willing servant to come with a humble heart. It's not what you can do for God, but it's what he has already done for you that makes you a servant of the living God. You can come today committing yourself to the Lord God. The invitation that we have this morning is for all of us that today will make the commitments, whether it be public or privately, that we'll follow God's call on our heart and life. Invitations for those who are looking for a church home and those who may want to come and be a part of Parkway Baptist Church as well for those who want to come for baptism or for prayer. I'm going to ask that if you would, would you please stand? I'm going to ask our musicians to come forward. And today as we move ourselves to invitation time, we ask that you follow the Lord's direction in your life and whatever He would be asking you to do today. Continue to be people of prayer. These are good times in which we can come and draw upon Him and draw close to Him because of all the things that are happening in the world today. We ask you to follow the Lord's direction. I'm going to be standing down here. I'm going to be worshiping alongside with you. You follow the Lord's direction in your life as we sing together.